Chapter 18 Leaning my weight against the banister, I tried to step lightly, but the stairs still creaked and groaned noisily as I made my way down. I stopped when I reached the back hallway and listened. Silence. No one had heard me. Outside I could hear the roar of the wind. There was a loud noise, probably a branch hitting the side of the house. The sound reminded me of the gunshot. I heard the loud explosion again, so near, so terrifyingly near, and saw the man fall to the ground in the darkness. Shaking my head as if to clear away that memory, I pulled open the doorway to the cellar and searched for a light switch. I couldn't find one. Maybe the light is turned on downstairs, I thought. I waited for my eyes to adjust to the darkness. The steep stairway came into focus. There was no railing to hold on to. I had no choice but to make my way carefully down the stairs in the dark. I could hear the furnace rumbling in a corner of the cellar, and I heard the steady trip, trip, trip of water somewhere down there, a leaky pipe most likely. It got colder as I descended the stairs a step at a time, and the air became heavy and wet. The cellar obviously wasn't heated. I stepped down onto the concrete floor. My sneakers stuck to the damp floor. Everything felt wet and cold and sticky down there. The drip, drip, drip sounded nearer from somewhere above my head. Feeling as if I had to sneeze, I held my breath until the sensation passed. I shivered. I wished I had brought my coat. Feeling blindly along the cold concrete wall, I struggled to find the light switch. Ah! I couldn't stop myself from uttering a low cry as my hand reached into a thick cobweb. I pulled my hand away quickly and rubbed it against my side, trying to remove the creepy invisible threads. Oh, now they clung to my face. I closed my eyes and frantically tried to pull them off. I hate cobwebs. I finally managed to free myself, but now I was itchy all over. Giving up on finding the light switch, I stepped forward, my eyes searching the darkness. Where had they put Jake? I could still feel the cobweb on my face, even though I'd removed it. I stopped short, hearing little feet scraping against the concrete floor just in front of me. Another mouse, probably. The drip, drip, drip was starting to drive me crazy. I coughed, the sound echoing deeply, as if I were in an enormous cavern. In the darkness, I could just make out a pile of cardboard cartons against the wall. An old bicycle, one wheel missing, leaned against the cartons. A tall stack of what appeared to be magazines and newspapers. An old couch, one of the cushions missing. There was a corpse down here somewhere, I knew. I took a few more steps. And then I thought, what am I doing? Am I really down in a damp, cold cellar, searching in the dark for a dead body? Too late to think about it now, I told myself. You're here, so find Jake and see if you can answer some of your questions. Having given myself that less than eloquent pep talk, I turned a corner and saw a large canvas tarp stretched out on the floor. Drawing closer, I could see that it bulged up in the center. I bent down and lifted the tarp, which was heavier than I expected, and reeked of mildew. Underneath, on his back, was Jake, lying straight as a board. I pulled the tarp away, folding it back. Jake stared up at me as if asking, What are you doing here? I could barely see him. It was too dark to examine the body. I looked around and finally spotted a light bulb hanging from the ceiling. I walked over to it, felt around until I found a cord, and pulled. The bulb flicked on. It cast a dim yellow circle of light onto the cellar floor. It wasn't much, but it would have to do. Returning to the body, I heard more tiny feet scampering over the concrete. I forced myself not to think about them, not to think about how cold I was, how wet, how frightened. Be a scientist, Ariel, I told myself. Examine the corpse, scientifically. Then run back to your room as fast as your skinny legs will take you. 
I bent over Jake's body, my heart pounding. What should I look at first? The wound? Yes, the wound. I pulled open his coat and examined his shirt. The bullet had entered just above his stomach in the center of his ribcage. The front of the shirt had a gaping hole in it to match the one in his coat, as if a giant had grabbed hold of the material and pulled off a big piece of it. The flannel was burned and frayed. The opening was as big as a cannonball. Leaning close, struggling to see in the dim light, I examined the wound. It was much smaller than the hole in the shirt. And just as I had remembered, there was practically no blood. A small amount had clotted around the circle of the wound, but the shirt wasn't soaked with blood, and no blood had run down the chest. Interesting, I thought. Really interesting. I had a hunch now, an idea of what was going on here, but I had to make sure. I backed up a bit, shifted my position, and picked up the corpse's hand. It was stiff and frozen, ice cold. I dropped it back to the floor. The entire arm was stiff. I felt the arm. I felt a shoulder. Frozen. I looked at my watch, holding it up to read it in the dim yellow light. It was 6.30. That meant that Doug had shot Jake less than six hours ago. I guessed that a body couldn't get this stiff in that much time. No way. So why was Jake's body completely frozen? It wasn't cold enough for a body to freeze in the cellar. Footsteps. I jumped to my feet. Shoes clomped on the concrete floor. Someone was in the basement with me. Chapter 19 Who, who is it? I called softly. My voice echoed off the concrete walls. I heard the trip, trip, trip of the leaky pipe, and I heard the footsteps grow louder. I held my breath and turned around. Red stepped into the light. He squinted at me, as if trying to focus, trying to wake up. His red hair was sticking out every which way. His sneakers were untied. Ariel. Red! I'm so glad it's you, I cried. I was so relieved I wanted to run up and hug him. I had a feeling I'd find you down here, he said, rubbing the sleeves of his sweatshirt. Man, it's cold. I, I had to see some things, I said. It sure smells down here. He looked down at the body. Want me to help you cover it up? He started toward the canvas tarp. No, let's just go back upstairs, I said, hurrying over to him. Are Doug and Shannon up? Yeah. I think so, he said, yawning and stretching. I don't know. I'm not really awake yet myself. Didn't sleep too well. I didn't either, I said. I took his hand and pulled him toward the stairs. Come on, hurry. We've all got to talk. Why? What did you find down here? I'll tell you upstairs, I said. Doug and Shannon appeared to be very tired and confused as Red and I crept back into my room. What's up? Shannon asked, trying to straighten her coppery hair with one hand. A lot, I said. I closed the door behind us and started to tell them what I had learned down in the cellar. We're being set up, I said. Doug, you didn't kill Jake. Huh? Red cried. Doug's face filled with confusion. But I shot him, Ariel. Yes, you shot him, I agreed. But Jake was already dead. That's crazy, Red cried. Why do you say that? Because Jake didn't bleed, I said. Only a trickle. If he'd been alive, the blood would have gushed. And when I examined him just now, he was stiff. Much too stiff to be dead for such a short time. But, Doug started, and his body was ice cold, nearly frozen. He must have been in the barn for quite a while, dead. That's the only way his body would be frozen like that. But, he was standing right in front of us, Shannon protested. We all saw him. He wasn't standing, I said, seeing it very clearly in my mind. He was leaning, leaning against that post. He must have been propped up there, propped up with the gun jammed in his hand. Now, wait a minute, Ariel. How do you figure that? Red asked. 
glancing up from tying his sneakers. Because when Doug shot him, his body didn't resist at all. He didn't cry out or fall forward or anything. The bullet sent him flying backward, right? He fell so stiffly. If it hadn't been so dark, if we hadn't been so scared, we would have noticed it right away. Ariel is right, Doug said, staring into my eyes, thinking hard. Of course she's right. But why? It's a setup, I said, whispering loudly, excitedly. Lou has set us up. Don't you see? He probably murdered Jake and then decided to pin it on us. You mean, Doug started. I mean that Lou's idea is to take us to the police and have you confess to shooting Jake. You did shoot him, after all. The local police won't question it. They probably won't even examine the body that closely to find out how Jake was really killed. They'll have your confession, after all. They'll have the gun. They'll see the bullet wound. So that will be that. Lou gets off scot-free, and we... we... I think you're jumping to a lot of conclusions, Fred said quietly. I just can't accept the idea that... Ariel is right, Doug repeated. Of course she is. This whole thing was a trap. Jake was already dead. And we were so stupid, we just... Doug, you just want to get off the hook, Red insisted. Stop it. Stop arguing, Shannon cried. Shannon's right, I said. There's no time. We've got to get out of here. I pulled on my coat and picked up my bag. If I'm right, Lou has already killed once, and we're the only ones who know about it. What was to keep Lou from killing again? From killing all four of us so that his secret would be safe? I suddenly found myself thinking about Ava. Did she know that Lou had killed Jake? Did she know his bizarre plan for making it look as if we were the killers? Was she in on the plan? She must be, I decided. Ava must know. Both of them were dangerous. Both of them were murderers. I think we should stay and confront Lou, Red said, blocking the doorway to my room. I mean, what's the point of running away now? If we run, it's just going to make us look guilty. We're not running away, I said. We're running right to the police, and we're going to tell them everything we know before Lou can make it look like he's an innocent victim and we barged into his house, accepted his hospitality, and murdered his brother-in-law. But how will we get away? Red asked, looking both ways down the hall, as if he heard Lou or Eva approaching. We'll take the jeep, of course, I said. You have the keys, right, Red? He nodded. I still don't think. Red looked really frightened. I figured he was afraid of what Lou would do to us if he caught us trying to escape a second time. We have no choice, Red, I said, attempting to push past him. We have to get out of here. Now. Come on. Reluctantly, he stepped out of the way. I didn't blame him for being scared. Now that we knew Lou was a murderer and not just a loudmouth macho show-off, the situation was even scarier than it had seemed. But I knew I was right. I knew we had to get away. This time, we didn't sneak down the back stairs. We ran. I led the way, followed by Doug and Shannon, and then Red. There is no sign of Lou or Ava. I hoped they were asleep. Our running down the stairs was sure to wake them up. But we'd be long gone by the time Lou could get dressed and come after us. We frantically pulled on our boots, then ran out the back door. An instant later, we were running across the ice-encrusted snow, balancing our packs and bags as we ran toward the barn. A big orange sun was just coming up behind us. It made the snow sparkle like gold. Our shadows were long and bright blue. The wind had died down. The whole world looked bright and clean. But I was too scared to enjoy the beauty of the morning. I just wanted to get to that jeep, to drive far away from this house and never see it again. We were nearly to the barn when I turned back to Doug and Shannon. Hey, where's Red? All three of us stopped and turned around. He was right behind us, Doug said, breathing heavily. Is he still in the house? Shannon asked. I shielded my eyes with my hand and stared back at the house. 
The kitchen door swung open, and I saw Red come running toward us, slipping and sliding as he made his way quickly over the icy snow. He was waving something in his hand, something that caught the morning sun and reflected its light. As he ran closer, I saw what it was, a pistol. Hey! I yelled. Throw it away! He paid no attention. Jess kept running full speed over the snow. I wasn't sure he had heard me. Throw it away, Red, I shouted. We don't need that. I do, Red said, stopping a few yards in front of us, his breath forming white clouds that drifted up toward the sky. He raised a small silver pistol and pointed it at me. Sorry, Red said, squinting against the bright light reflected off the snow. You're nice guys, but Lou and I worked too hard to set this whole thing up. I can't let you go now. Chapter 20 the three of us were too shocked to say anything. I just stared at Red, at the pistol in his hand. The pistol pointed at me. This is a joke, right? I said finally. He shook his head no. He gestured toward the house with the gun. You mean you're working with Lou? Doug asked, his voice rising in disbelief. You brought us here deliberately. You're catching on, Doug, Red said flatly. His face was expressionless, but he kept his eyes trained on me. You might say I recruited you guys at the ski lodge the ski lodge that seems like such a long time ago but you can't get away with this shannon cried grabbing onto doug's arm red didn't reply he glanced back at the house and then gestured with the pistol again come on guys let's go we've got a schedule to keep he walked behind us the pistol poised as we slowly trudged back toward the house no one said a word the only sound was the crunching of our boots on the hard snow i felt like such an idiot how could I have trusted Red? How could I have been attracted to him? He had fooled me completely, fooled all of us. We had trusted him. We had thanked him for saving our lives. And the whole time he was laughing at us, guiding us into the trap that he and Lou were setting up. I felt so angry and so hurt and so totally betrayed. But there is nothing to do but march back up to the house and see what new terrors Red and Lou and Ava had in store for us. The surface of the snow was so ice-laden and hard we could practically walk on top of it. Red made a stop just outside the kitchen door. He kept the gun trained on us and shouted for Lou. Lou appeared almost immediately, as if he'd been waiting by the door. He was wearing his baggy jeans and a tan hunting jacket. Good morning, gang, he said, grinning for some reason. Here you go, Red said, and flipped the pistol to Lou. Lou stepped out onto the small stoop turning the pistol in his hand until he had it pointed at us. Hey, the wind is gone, he said, surveying the backyard. Nice morning, huh? We didn't reply. All three of us were keeping our eyes on the pistol. Now, where were you turkeys going on such a nice morning? Lou said, his smile fading. You weren't trying to sneak away again, were you? He didn't really expect an answer, so we didn't give him one. You wouldn't try running away after killing Ava's brother, would you? Poor old Jake. We've got to tell the police about Jake, right? Isn't that what we decided? A big clump of snow fell off the roof beside Lou. The noise startled him momentarily. He recovered quickly and jumped off the top step of the stoop into the snow, keeping the gun trained on us. The phone is fixed, gang. Isn't that good news? So we can call the police and you can make your confession. We know the truth, Lou, I said, unable to hold myself in any longer. He stared at me. The truth? We know Doug didn't kill Jake. We know Jake was already dead. Lou turned to Red. What did you bring me here, pal? These kids are too smart. Red shrugged. He had his hands stuffed in his jeans pockets. 
He was standing off to the side, as if watching the show. Too smart, Lou repeated, his expression now menacing. He stared at me. So you figured out everything, huh? You've even figured out that Red was the one wearing the blue ski mask. All of our secrets. You're just too smart. Too smart to live, maybe. He scratched his head thoughtfully. What are we going to do, Lou? Red asked, looking at the barn. The door was stuck open, wedged in the snow. I could just make out the jeep against the far wall, deep in shadow. Let's think, Lou said. We've got to get our story straight. These kids aren't our only problem right now. What do you mean? Red snapped, a worried expression tightening his features. It's Ava, Lou said. She's giving me trouble. She promised to cooperate, but now she's acting like a baby. A crow eased down onto the snow a few yards behind us, calling loudly, flapping its wings, black against the white snow. Lou aimed the pistol at it and pretended to shoot it, making shooting noises with his mouth. Ava's upset about Jake, Red asked. Lou nodded, frowning. Yeah, can you imagine? At this late date, Ava decides she loved her brother. He was my brother, too, Red said with some emotion. So, Red was Ava's brother? You're not changing your mind, too? Lou snapped angrily. No, no, Red protested, his eyes widening in fear. I understand why you killed him, Lou. Ava has to understand, too. I'm sorry, said a voice from the doorway. Ava stepped out, her hair unbrushed, in tangles about her head, her eyes wild and frightened. Ava, get back in the house, Lou said quietly but forcefully. She ignored him. Her eyes darted over to us. She seemed almost surprised to see us standing there. Then she turned back to her husband. I can't go through with it, Lou, she said, her voice trembling. I'm sorry, I thought I could, but I just can't. Ava. Get back in the house, Lou repeated in a low growl, obviously struggling not to lose his temper. I hated Jake for what he did to us, Ava continued, clasping the top of her open coat and pulling it closed around her neck. Jake was detestable, stealing our inheritance over the years, cheating us out of what was rightfully ours. Ava, Lou growled, losing his patience. We don't have to go into Asian history now, do we? Please. But... You didn't have to kill him, Lou, Ava interrupted, ignoring him, staring out at the frozen lake behind the barn. I, I just can't go through with this. I'm sorry. It's too late to be sorry, Lou said, scowling. I called the police, Ava told him. They're on their way. They'll be here in 20 minutes, maybe less. My heart jumped. Those were the best words I'd heard in a long time. I glanced over at Shannon without moving my head. She returned the glance. I could see she was as happy as I was. Lou, of course had a different reaction. Are you crazy? He screamed at Ava, his face reddening. He swore and gestured with the pistol, waving it angrily at us. You know, you're not one of them, Ava. You're not an innocent bystander here. You're in this too, babe. You're in it up to your pretty neck. Twenty minutes, I thought. They'll be here in twenty minutes. That's too long. We're not out of danger yet. A lot can happen in twenty minutes. I don't believe you called the police, Ava, Red said, obviously very frightened. He wiped his forehead with the sleeve of his coat. He was perspiring despite the cold. Lou and Ava started to argue loudly, ignoring Doug, Shannon, and me completely. I looked down on the ground and something struck my eye. It was the stockpile of snowballs Doug had made during our snowball fight the morning before. They must be hard as ice, I thought. Lou had his back to us now as he continued cursing and screaming at Ava. Red moved toward the stoop to join in the argument. It seemed like the perfect time, the only time, I had to try. 
I bent down quickly, grabbed up two of the ice-hard snowballs, and heaved one of them at Lou's head. 